Welcome to Primary Cast, your unofficial study group for the ASIM primary exam. I'm Charlotte Durand and I'm your host. In each episode, I'm joined by a special guest to cover some of the core content from this exam. All of the episode notes and transcripts are available online at asimprimarypodcast.com. And while you're there, you can leave any comments or feedback or donate to support the podcast via the Buy Me A Coffee app, which is on the website. Thank you to everyone who's donated and supported so far. It helps keep the podcast free and open access for your colleagues. Today, we are talking about neck and spine anatomy with Dr. Susan Lemmy. Susan, thank you so much for joining me today for an episode of Primary Cast. It's lovely to have you here. No problem at all. What we're going to be doing today is talking about neck and spine anatomy. And um, I'm joined by Dr. Susan Lamy, who is an emergency reg who I met working in Darwin, as most of my guests on the podcast have been. Susan's currently working in ICU and is in the midst of her fellowship exams, having recently passed her written. Congratulations. Thank you so much. She's doing... All of this with four kids in tow, which keeps her very busy outside of work. And she has an interest in medical education, which comes from her past life working as a music teacher. So it's very, I always really like finding out what people do and what paths they've had on the lead up to medicine. And I think you'd be wonderfully suited for medical education. So thank you for being a part of it today. No problem. So the first question that we're going to start with is a question about airway. Using the model, can you please demonstrate the main features of the larynx? So the features that you need to know are the thyroid cartilage, cricoid cartilage, arytenoid cartilages, epiglottis, follicular, cuneiform and corniculate cartilages, cricothyroid membrane and vocal cords. And what are the structures in the upper airway that could lead to an airway obstruction? The tongue, tonsils, pharynx, Epiglottis and glottis. Can you please demonstrate the landmarks for a cricothyroidotomy? So we've got the thyroid cartilage above, cricoid cartilage below, and the cricothyroid membrane between. What cartilage in the larynx is fully circumferential? That would be the cricoid cartilage. And can you please name the muscles of vocalization? So we have the cricothyroid which is from the anterolateral cricoid to the inferior margin and inferior horn of the thyroid. We've got the thyroretinoid from the lower half of the posterior angle of the thyroid laminae and cricothyroid ligament to the anterolateral arytenoid. The posterior cricoarytenoid from the posterior surface of cricoid lamina to the vocal process of the arytenoid. The lateral cricoarytenoid from the arch of the cricoid to the vocal process of the retinoid. Transverse and oblique arytenoids from one arytenoid cartilage to the contralateral arytenoid, and vocalis, the lateral surface of the vocal process of a retinoid cartilage to the ipsilateral vocal ligament. There's a lot of muscles there. (laughs) If you are pushed for time, or actually probably just for a good exam technique, you can. um, We've obviously in the podcast listed all of the attachments. for these muscles, just so you can get used to hearing them. But if you are in an exam, it's reasonable um, to just list them all first and then move on to listing the attachments because the examiners will stop you and move you on if that's not required or if you don't have enough time. And so that way you can get all of the top requirements out in the sort of most efficient way. 
So next we're going to talk about the innovation of the airway. What is the motor nerve supply of the larynx? So all muscles of the larynx are supplied by branches of the vagus nerve. Uh, the recurrent laryngeal nerve becomes the inferior laryngeal nerve and supplies all the intrinsic muscles except one, which is the cricothyroid, which is supplied by the superior laryngeal nerve. The superior laryngeal nerve is a branch of the vagus, which then gives an internal and external branch. The external branch, called the external laryngeal nerve, is what supplies the cricothyroid membrane. What is the sensory supply of the larynx? So sensation below the cords is via the inferior laryngeal nerve, which is a branch of the recurrent laryngeal nerve. Sensation above the cords is the internal laryngeal nerve, which is a branch of the superior laryngeal nerve. What is the difference between the course of the right and left recurrent laryngeal nerve? So the right hooks around the subclavian artery, the left hooks around the aorta to become recurrent, and then after looping, they both ascend in the tracheoesophageal groove to supply the intrinsic muscles of the larynx, except, of course, the cricothyroid, which, as we've just discussed, is supplied by the superior laryngeal nerve. What is the result of an injury to the recurrent laryngeal nerve? So this can include a hoarse voice if it's a unilateral injury and stridor if there's a bilateral injury due to the inability to abduct the cords as the posterior cricoretinoids are the only abductors. So moving on to question three, which is about the anterior neck. It's important when you're studying this specifically to not forget the images. So they love getting you to interpret the anatomy photos for this question, the, the um, dissection photos out of the anatomy book. So they'll say, identify the venous structures in this photo or identify the nerves in this photo. Um, and so it's really good while you're going through this content to make sure you have a look at the pictures in the book so you become familiar with what is what um, because they're the photos that they use often in the actual exam. So the first question is, can you please identify the major triangles of the neck? Okay, so we have two major triangles, the anterior and posterior. The anterior is further divided into the digastric, submental, muscular and carotid triangles. And can you please define the boundaries of the anterior triangle of the neck? Okay, so we have the inferior border of the mandible, which forms the superior border of the triangle. The midline of the neck is the anterior border and the lateral border is the anterior part of the sternocleidomastoid muscle. Can you please describe the course of the internal jugular vein? So the internal jugular vein is the continuation of the sigmoid sinus. It's formed by the inferior petrosal and sigmoid dural venous sinuses. It descends within the carotid sheath with the internal carotid artery and the vagus nerve, which lies lateral and ventral to the artery. It passes deep to the heads of the sternocleidomastoid, the sternal and clavicular heads, joins the subclavian vein posterior to the sternal end of the clavicle and forms the brachiocephalic vein. And what major structures are at risk during the insertion of an IJ line? So the major structures that are at risk are the internal carotid artery, the common carotid artery, the vagus nerve, other nerves, the lung, trachea, sternocleidomastoid, thyroid and thoracic duct. Great. Can you please describe the location of the thyroid gland in the neck? 
So it's located anteriorly in the neck at the level of C5 to T1. It lies deep to the sternothyroid and sternohyoid muscles. The right and left lobes sit anterolateral to the larynx and trachea. A thin isthmus unites the two lobes across the trachea approximately in the second and third tracheal rings. Okay, so now we've got question four, which is the carotid triangle and vessels. Outline the boundaries of the carotid triangle. So the boundaries include the superior belly of the omohyoid, the posterior belly of the digastric, and the anterior border of the sternocleidomastoid. And what structures pass through the carotid triangle? These include the common carotid artery, the internal carotid artery, the external carotid artery and the branches, superior thyroid, lingual and facial, lymph nodes and the hypoglossal nerve. Name the branches of the external carotid. These include the anterior ascending pharyngeal, the superior thyroid, the lingual, the facial, the posterior occipital, the posterior auricular, the superficial temporal and the maxillary. And there's probably about four or five different uh, acronyms and mnemonics to remember those. Just find one that works for you. Uh, some of them are more appropriate than others. Um, but if you find one that works for you, you should be able to recall the order quite easily. Describe the surface markings of the carotid sheath in the neck. So the carotid sheath runs along a line which joins the sternoclavicular joint to a point midway between the mastoid process and the angle of the mandible. And what are the contents of the carotid sheath? These include the common carotid artery, the internal jugular vein and the vagus nerve. And with this question, the surface markings question uh, has also been asked as a please describe surface markings of the internal jugular vein for a central line. And so that's the same landmarks, which is the uh, sternoclavicular joint and the mastoid angle of the mandible. Uh, and that's the same landmarks as the carotid sheath because it runs within it. Discuss the anatomy of the right common carotid artery. So the right common carotid begins at the bifurcation of the brachiocephalic trunk behind the sternoclavicular joint into the common carotid and subclavian arteries. In the neck, it lies within the medial part of the carotid sheath with the internal jugular vein lateral to it and the vagus nerve lying between the two vessels. The common carotid bifurcates the level of the upper border of the lamina of the thyroid cartilage, which is the upper border of the C4 vertebra, into the external and internal carotid arteries. What is the course of the right subclavian artery? So the right subclavian artery arises via the brachiocephalic trunk, exits the thorax via the superior thoracic aperture, and travels between the anterior and middle scalene muscles before passing between the first rib and the clavicle. At the lateral border of the first rib, it continues as the axillary artery, and the vessel can be split into three parts, the first, second, and third, depending on the position of the vessel in relation to the scalene anterior. And just to review this briefly, the first part is from its origin to the medial border of scalene, scalenus anterior. The second part is the part that runs posterior to scalenus anterior. And the third part is from the lateral border of scalenus anterior to the lateral border of the first rib.
So question five is about the cervical spine. Uh, a note on this is you should be able to outline the landmarks on a peg view x-ray, which we don't often do anymore in practice that I've seen, but it has come up in previous exams and it can really throw you if you're not expecting it. So part of that question is, can you please demonstrate the bony features of the atlas and axis? Okay, with the C1 atlas, we've got the anterior and posterior arch, transverse foramen, the lateral mass with transverse process, articular facet for dens, superior articular facet, inferior articular facet, anterior and posterior tubercles, vertebral foramina. And with the C2 or the axis, we've got the body, the odontoid peg or the dens, superior and inferior articular facets, lamina, pedicle, transverse process, transverse foramen, bifid spinous process, and vertebral foramen. So you'll need the dens plus five other features to pass. And what are the characteristics of a cervical vertebra? So we've got a small oval body with a large vertebral canal, which is concave on the superior surface and convex on the inferior surface. Spinous processes are short, bifid and downward sloping. The facet joints are more horizontal, allowing for a greater range of movement. Anterior and posterior transverse process with a transverse foramen allowing passage of the vertebral artery, vein and sympathetic plexus. Can you please describe the joints between C1 and C2? So we have two lateral atlantoaxial joints or facet joints. These are synovial joints between the inferior articular facet of the atlas and the superior articular facet of the axis on each side. The median atlantoaxial joint is a synovial joint between the anterior arch of C1 and the dens. This is a pivot joint. Can you describe the movements of the head on the neck? Rotation occurs at the level of C1 on C2, gliding on the lateral atlantoaxial joints and pivoting on median atlantoaxial joint. Flexion extension, or nodding, lateral flexion and rotation occur at the atlantoaccipital joints. And which ligaments stabilise the joint between C1 and C2? So the ligaments are the cruciate ligament, two alar ligaments, the apical ligament, tectorial membrane, ligamentum flavum, nuchal ligament and interspinous ligament and the joint capsule also provides support. With the cruciate ligament, it sits behind the dens and it's made of a strong transverse ligament across the atlas and weaker vertical bands from the back of the body of the axis to the occiput. This holds the dens in position and prevents pressure from the dens on the medulla. The two alar ligaments are from the sides of the dens to the edge of the foramen magnum. They are strong ligaments that limit rotation. The apical ligament is from the apex of the dens to the foramen magnum. The tectorial membrane is a continuation of the posterior longitudinal ligament attached from the back of the body of the axis to the anterior half of the foramen magnum. It lies in front of the dura. Great, thank you. And that's a really good uh, example of listing all the ligaments first and then going on to give more detail because that will give the examiners an opportunity to either redirect you or stop you if the extra detail is not required for any marks. So our next section is thoracic spine. Demonstrate the bony features of a thoracic vertebra. So these features include the body, pedicle, transverse processes, articular facets, of which there's superior and inferior, costal facets, which are superior and inferior for the head of the rib, 
and transverse costal facet for the tubercle of the rib. Spinous process and lamina. There's also a vertebral foramen and a space for the intervertebral foramina. What movements occur at the thoracic vertebra? Rotation, some lateral flexion, but very limited flexion and extension. How does this differ from vertebrae in other regions? So a cervical vertebra has a smaller body, a larger canal, is very often a bifid spinous process. It has a canal for the vertebral artery and the facet joints are flatter and there's no space for ribs. A lumbar vertebra has a larger body, a smaller canal, spinous process is more square and is more directly posterior. And again, there's no articulation for ribs and there's a more prominent transverse process. What changes occur as you move from upper to lower thoracic vertebrae? So the body goes from heart-shaped to a more kidney shape. The spinous processes go from long and vertical to become shorter and more horizontal. Facets on the transverse processes go from being concave to more flat. Costal facets on the body change from demi to single on the 10, 11th and 12th vertebrae. And the spinal canal goes from round to more of a triangular shape. And that does sound like a lot of changes and a lot of information. In order to pass, you just needed to get two out of the five listed. Okay, so question seven is about the lumbar spine. Can you please name the structures that your needle would pass through when performing a lumbar puncture? Okay, so this is one you really need to know well, so you don't even have to think about it. It comes up really often. So we have skin, subcutaneous tissue, the supraspinous ligament, interspinous ligament, ligamentum flavum, the epidural space and veins, dura mater, arachnoid mater, and the subarachnoid space, or the CSF. And can you please describe some of the characteristics of the ligaments passed? So we have the supraspinous, which is continuous down the spine. It's a strong ligament that is lax in extension and taut in flexion. The interspinous ligament, which is a weak ligament. The ligamentum flavum, which is the most important ligament. It attaches to the front of the upper lamina and the back of the lower lamina. At what level do you do a lumbar puncture in an adult and why? So we do it at L3-4 or L4-5 or L5-S1 spaces. The spinal cord ends at L2, so below this is the safe site for a lumbar puncture. What are the surface anatomical landmarks when performing a lumbar puncture? The top of the iliac crests align with the L4 spinous process. The space above or below this avoids the spinal cord. What movements occur at the lumbar spine? So flexion and extension are the main movements. There's also some lateral flexion and very limited rotation. What factors are responsible for stability between adjacent lumbar vertebrae? So we have bony factors, which is the orientation of the facets and the intervertebral discs. We have ligamentous factors, which is the major stability comes from the ligaments, especially the anterior and posterior spinal ligaments, the supraspinous, interspinous, intratransverse and ligamentum flavum. And then we have the muscular factors, a thick mass of muscle anterior and posterior to the spine, particularly the erector spinae. And so for the next question, just imagine I'm handing you a lumbar vertebra. What features make this a lumbar vertebra? There are no costal facets. There's no foramen in the transverse process. 
is a triangular vertebral foramen. Articular facets lie in the AP plane. There's a kidney-shaped body. The vertebra is larger, and there's mammillary bodies. Okay, and then we have, we're ending on a bonus question because I think that this would be slightly unfair. Um, but also, it was asked in 2010, so it's still up for grabs, and I don't think I studied this at all. So uh, it's included as a bonus, so you don't have to then go and learn it. Um, it is a question about the sacrum. Can you please identify this bone, pretend I'm handing you a sacrum, and list its features? Okay, so the sacrum consists of five fused bones in the coccyx. There are four pairs of sacral foramina, the ala, sacroiliac joint, superior articular facets, lumbosacral joint, and five vertical lines, median, intermediate, and lateral lines. Thank you very much. Uh, just goes to show that if this happens to you and you get a question where you haven't actually looked at it and you don't know what it is, particularly with bones or other anatomy things, if you do a good guess, then you perhaps will get the four uh, key features that are needed to pass because listening to that, I'm sure everybody knows the answers make sense when you hear them. So if you just list something that seems like it makes sense, then you have a good chance of passing. Okay, so at the end of the podcast, I like to ask people for any words of advice or wisdom from the other side of having sat a couple of big exams. Is there anything that you would go back and tell your uh, pre-exam self about how to prepare or what to focus on during this time? I think uh, my hospital that I was working at at the time really focused on the um, viva itself rather than the written and I think it was really helpful to have practiced the viva all the way along um, so because if you can answer the questions verbally then obviously you can remember them and, and write them as well so I think that'd probably be my best advice is lots of viva practice yeah yeah and it's really useful to have if you do have someone or a group that you can practice with to just it's one thing to read it and be like, yeah, I know the answer to that. Yeah, I could say that. And actually to perform it under pressure is yeah. is really hard. So, Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Did you have a good study group or someone that you could verbalise with? Yeah, I did. I had a, it was a small group, but um, yeah, it worked well for that. Yeah, it needs to be people that you aren't afraid of being wrong in front of as well. <laughs> All right, fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's been lovely to have you and um I look forward to perhaps having you on again, maybe, if we've got... I don't know if I have enough episodes left to get people around again. That's exciting. It is exciting. Almost finished. <laughs> Almost done with this exam. All right, thank you very much, and have a lovely rest of the day. No worries, you too. Oh, that's so much information. Yeah, yeah, don't... I'm amazed that, like, like, all this stuff, I'm like, did I really used to be? Yeah, no, I don't know any of it anymore. <laughs> And then I find it in my notes. Oh, I did know it at some point, mm. a long time ago. Mm.